I think one of the biggest myths about technology is that it's neutral. For the first time in human history, there are these geniuses armed with limitless funds, essentially, a mm. profound understanding of human psychology, um, and their goal is to steal as much of your time as possible. We can choose who we follow, who we unfollow, who we block. We can curate all the content that comes to us. We're like little mini gods sitting there with our phone, right? I'm not saying it's a categorical evil, but it does have a lot of drawbacks that often we're just oblivious to. Welcome to the podcast called Your Future Self Will Thank You with Drew Dick and Jeremy Slager. With secrets to self-control from the Bible and brain science, this podcast will help you make change that lasts. Your Future Self Will Thank You podcast, self-control and habit building from a distinctly Christian perspective. Hello and welcome to episode five of Your Future Self Will Thank You podcast with Jeremy Slager and... Drew Dick. I can't believe we're on episode five, man. We're crushing it. We are moving right along. And we've got some really important things to talk about today. Uh, the last episode, we we were talking about the, the, the fallacy, really, of tabula rasa and how, as humans, we actually come with a bent towards sins, that sin, that we aren't a blank slate of self-determination. And so now as I've been thinking about that this week, I've started to wonder that same discussion that we had about the human heart, does it also apply to things that the human hands create, our mm. technology? Because I think we we often think of our tools as purely just a medium, that it's just neutral. It's It could be used for good or for evil, depending on who holds it, like like a hammer, you could use it to build a house, or on the negative side, you could use it to crush a skull. Whoa, that is the negative side. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm wondering, Drew, isn't there a little bit of naivete with this as well? If if these tools or technology are created by bent humans, or as you said last week, crooked timber, do the tools themselves have a bentness in them? Definitely. I think one of the biggest myths about technology is that it's neutral, right? And I hear this all the time. It's like, well, th th what matters is the content. The delivery system is this kind of neutral uh, conduit for the information to flow to people. Mm -hmm. So it really doesn't matter. Now, um, I I'll quote the, the philosopher Marshall McLuhan, very famous quote. He said, the medium is the message. Mm. In other words, there's an intimate connection between the medium, the way information is delivered, and the information itself. And the medium actually shapes the message. So take an example. Okay, like a sermon, for instance. Well, mm -hmm. there are a few ways that you can engage a sermon, right? You can read a sermon. Uh, they used to do that back in the day that, you know, early history of America, they'd print out sermons and run them in the newspaper. And so people would actually read a sermon, and that's a good thing to do. But that's one experience. You can also listen to a sermon in person with other believers around you, you know, in a church. Um, you can listen to a sermon on a podcast. That's another experience, right? Mm -hmm. Or you can watch it, um, a preacher preach a sermon online. And I would argue that even though the same words, right, are, are, are available, mm -hmm. you're consuming, the experience of that sermon is very different based on the medium that it comes to you by. Does that make sense? 
right? Yeah. And so, and, and that's just kind of one example of how the medium impacts the message. Um, but I think that that's true of all the technology. So every time technology comes along, it changes our imaginations, it changes the world, whether that was the printing press, you know, uh, that kind of came along at the time of the Reformation or the advent of the TV, which changed American family life forever, or the advent yeah. of the Internet and all the sort of ancillary uh, products and smartphones and stuff that has come along with that. These have a profound impact. They're not just neutral tools to access content. They have a profound impact on the way we live, the way we think, and how we interact with each other. Interesting. So this this bentness applies to the technology that we have. So like the, the smartphones that we carry around in our pockets have an inherent message that's created with them. And so it seems like if we're going to understand self-control, how we we determine what we're going to do, we need to understand what the technology that we carry with with us, what it is leading us towards. And yeah. I think for me, one of the, the biggest revelations I had reading your book, Your Future Self Will Thank You, was seeing how, how Silicon Valley and the technology producers have mastered and exploited brain science of habit building. So... What I mean is, they it, see from your book, it sounded like they they understand how habits are built and formed in us as people, and they exploit that to keep our attention. Right. How is it that they? How is it that they do that? What do they know about the brain that we don't? <laughs> yes. Well, they understand the highly addictive nature of the technology and the and the social media platforms in particular that they're offering us. Right. Here's mm -hmm. a quote from the, the founding president of Facebook, Sean Parker. I thought this was interesting. He said, we need to consume as much of your time as possible. How do we do that? By exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. <laughs> we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone yeah. liked or commented on a photo or post, and that's going to get you to contribute more. Anyway, it goes on. He was very honest just about the MO. Now, listen, I'm not saying that you know, organizations like Facebook or Google are necessarily these sinister, you know, I don't have any conspiracy theories about how they're they're trying to take over the world. They might be. But <laughs> what I will say is their, their business model is predicated upon the their success of consuming as much of your time as possible, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, and I, I, I talk about this in the book, but for the first time in human history, there are these geniuses armed with limitless funds, essentially, a mm -hmm. profound understanding of human psychology, um, and their goal is to steal as much of your time as possible, right? And so they're going to do that kind of by whatever means necessary. And so it's incumbent upon us to to limit that technology, be aware of how it kind of hijacks our brain. I don't think that's too mm -hmm. strong a term. Um, and then on top of that, be aware of how it changes our lives interpersonally. You know, it, 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 it can be very isolating. It can change the way we relate to other people. It can kind of, if we're not careful, we can kind of get cut off sitting there looking at our computers and our smartphones. So it's, it's an important topic. Interesting. So the, the actual medium of the, the smartphone in particular has this bentness towards consuming our time and towards yes. keeping our attention there. And I would add this too. Um, it's a very, um, I remember my uh, freshman a theology professor in college. I went to this Christian college for my first year of college anyway. And I remember him saying, 
I feel like in North America, we worship the God of choice. Hmm. And I thought that was kind of a weird thing to say, but the more I've thought about it over the years, I think he was right. You know, we, that is, uh, we place a high premium on autonomy, on being able to choose whatever we want. And part of the new technology of smartphones in particular is it feeds into that. We yeah. always have our phone with us. We can, we can choose who we follow, who we unfollow, who we block. What, um, we can curate all the content that comes to us. We're like little mini gods sitting there with our phone, right? I, mean, I don't want to overstate it. And there are good things I should say too. This isn't like, oh, technology is terrible. We should all be Luddites and, and go ride a horse and buggy or something. There are good things that, that can come through technology. I love that I can FaceTime with my brother who lives a thousand miles away from me, right? Um, yeah. People are using technology in amazing ways to spread the gospel to the, to the, you know, all over the world. So I'm not saying it's a categorical evil, but it does have a lot of drawbacks that often we're just oblivious to. And it's important to keep in mind. Yeah. So what, what impact does that, I don't know, that, that bentness of the phone, the things that they're trying to do in us, what impact does it have on our brains? Because I, I mean, I know like the brain can be addicted to a substance like nicotine or cocaine or even personal confessions, coffee and caffeine. <laughs> and the brain responds to those those chemicals in a certain way. So what do you mean when you say that the, the brain can be addicted to or can be hijacked by a phone? Because you're not actually like putting anything in your body, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And yet, like some people have described social media in particular, as a dopamine delivery system. Because right. every every time you get a little bit of affirmation on social media, your brain releases dopamine. And dopamine is basically the, the brain's feel-good chemical, right? And so it's going to reinforce that behavior. It's forming habits. And incidentally, when most um, narcotics do the same thing, they, they basically they either like block things in your brain that, that stymie dopamine production or they just you know release a ton of dopamine and make you feel really good, and of course that becomes addictive. And a lot of these tools are the same the same way. And so it's important, and he actually, you know, it's interesting is that um, I said dopamine is the feel-good chemical of the brain. That's actually not quite true. Because they've done experiments on rats, for instance, where they'll hook up electrodes to their brain and give them a little dopamine hit. Well, those rats, they will walk over electrified grids to get to the lever, oh, to wow. push it, to get the dopamine hit. It's so addictive, right? Yeah. And researchers always assumed that these rats are just on cloud nine, that dopamine, oh, mm -hmm. dopamine makes us happy. They did a similar experiment with humans, though. And just like the rats, the people were, they were asking for the dopamine hit constantly. But mm -hmm. when they asked them, does it feel good? They said, no, it, it's just addictive. And it feels kind of uh -huh. weird and it makes you anticipate pleasure. So when you see that piece of chocolate cake through the window of a, of a bakery, dopamine floods into your brain. But are you enjoying the cake? No. The dopamine is actually just trying to drive you towards an action. And it's the same with social media. So social media, that's why often it feels like it's addictive, but does it really satisfy me? Does it actually yeah. slake my thirst for whatever I'm after? And I think the answer is often no. You come away even, you know, kind of dissatisfied than when you started often. Yeah. And that's what's going on there because it's provoking the, that dopamine release, but you're not actually getting the real community the, the, the live interactions with people that you love. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, and it's so it's good in moderation, but we have to be aware of how it does uh, kind of capitalize on our psychological vulnerabilities. Yeah, and I know this may may sound a little bit like a, a hot take, but I love it. I've 
<laughs> or maybe it's a conspiracy theory. I don't know which one. But I kind of get this feeling that that 30 years from now, when my kids are are older, they will look back on this time of the early days of the smartphone and they will just be baffled that we didn't do anything to stop this. And I think that uh. we'll look back on this period of history in a similar way that we look back now on big tobacco and oh, right. the, the ways that the tobacco industry intentionally created addictions and dependencies so that they could rake in the cash. And from what you're saying, it kind of sounds like the social media industry, the, the smartphone industry is kind of using a similar game plan of creating addictions to force more usage to bring in more revenue. Is that, am I onto something there or is it, is it a different type of thing? Yeah, only time will tell, obviously, if it turns out to be that kind of thing. And of course, it's, it's, it's different. It's not as much of a physical threat as, say, tobacco. But yeah. I think you're right. I, I think we, we are going to have a reckoning. Uh, and in fact, it's already started. So, for instance, when it comes to um, kids that are using a ton of tech, right? There are mm -hmm. kids that just kind of are glued to their iPad and they go to sleep with their smartphone and they've, you know, got inter unfettered internet access all the time from the time that they're preteens, right? Um, and, and a lot of people just think, oh, well, that's fine. You know, it's maybe it can help them do homework and connect with friends. We are now reaping the, the bitter fruits of that very naive approach to using technology and parenting. So this just actually came out recently from the American Psychological Association, a very large scale study with some really terrifying results. Listen to this. Mm -hmm. From in, in the space from 2009 to, to 2017, major depression episodes among early 20, like 20 and 21 year olds, more than doubled. Mm. Uh, depression surged 69% among 16 and 17 year olds. Serious psychological distress, which includes feelings of anxiety, hopelessness, jumped 71% among 18 to 25 year olds. And among 20-year-olds, um, suicide attempts uh, uh, doubled uh, from 2009 to 2017. So we are, yeah, I mean, and now I'm not blaming all this on social media, but a lot of it does trace back to social media because that was one big kind of fundamental shift for this generation. Like uh, mm -hmm. you and I, uh, you're younger than me, but we weren't raised on the internet in the same way that today's kids are. That really started in kind of the late 90s. Um, and so this is an unprecedented experiment in human history, giving kids whose brains are in a, you know, the formative years, the, these highly addictive uh, interactive technologies. Um, we are seeing that that's not healthy. And I think you're right. We're going to look back on this time and go, what were we thinking? Incidentally, and this is interesting to me, mm -hmm. Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, there have been a lot of articles about this. They will not give their kids the products that they create, right? They have uh -oh. them in these, like no tech, <laughs> low tech schools. Yeah. Playing out nature because they're multimillionaires and they understand the highly addictive styming effects of some of these technologies, especially on young minds. So they're not giving it to their kids. Uh, anyway, so we need to be, yeah, especially vigilant. And here's the thing. We might think, oh, but we're above that. I'm, I have a developed brain. I can, I can, you know, um, filter out bad content and I will not become addicted to my phone. My mom the other day, she's a 70-year-old woman. She says to me, she's like, I think I'm getting addicted to my iPhone. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I could have told her that because she's always looking down on it. Anyway, I'm not trying to bash yeah. my mom. Um, and I struggle with it just as <laughs> much more than she does. But this isn't something that's confined yeah. 
to the screenagers or the millennials or whatever. This is a problem that spans across generations, and I think it's a really serious one. Yeah, it sure is, and it's we do like to tend we do like to blame and put the the worst of it onto the youngest generation. I feel like that happens every right. generation. The yeah. young ones always get the they get the short end of that stick. <laughs> so, what do you think? How do we how do we fight back? How yeah. are we supposed to make steps of progress if we have something that is so uh, difficult to deal with? Dif- right. if, if it can affect a seventy five year old grandmother and it can affect a six-year-old kid and this is a human problem that we have to deal with it's what are some of those first initial steps that we need to make to get control over our devices yeah well i think the first step is awareness you know and we've been talking about that how addictive these things are and then okay i, I want to say a couple things when it comes to self-control right kind of bringing this back home yeah okay these things are ad- addictive well what does that have to do with self-control i think a couple of things so yeah. the internet first of all it makes any sin you can think of more readily available you know yeah. it's it's literally at your fingertips whether your your vice is lust we know what the internet's done to that right mm-hmm. any sort of image or video of anything imaginable is right at your fingertips. Whether your sin is gambling, the internet facilitates that. Whether it's shopping, you name it, right? All of these vices have been amplified by mm-hmm. this technology. Um, of course, they were always struggles for Christians in the past. Today, though, they're they're louder, they're in our face, they're more accessible. So that's that's one thing to be aware of. The second thing, though, and we've been talking about this a little bit, and that is the way at which these technologies change us at a neurological level. And a lot of these changes... Are, are difficult to pair with the Christian life, right? So mm-hmm. if you want to engage in these deep spiritual disciplines like prayer, like Bible reading, like yeah. gathering other people in real life, in real time, uh, to, to be with fellow believers and worship God. All of these practices are more difficult when your attention span has been shrunk by social mm-hmm. media and the internet and your smartphone, and you have bought into this sort of a lie that you can be this autonomous, isolated individual, um, just accessing uh, pixels instead of people. So it, it, it's it's incredibly important that we realize that there's some tension here with a lot of yeah. what we call Christian life. I, I, I read a story about Philip Yancey, awesome Christian writer. He's got to be in his 60s or 70s. And he's he, he talked about how he can't read anymore. Well, that's an mm-hmm. exaggeration. He could read, but he used to plow through these dense classics. And after going online and kind of clicking around and and getting his brain changed by surfing, it was more difficult. And that's that's a concern, especially for people who want to engage scripture regularly and not just read like a, a little, you know, McNugget of scripture once in a while, but want to engage mm-hmm. deeply with the text. These are important issues. So I know we're kind of running short on time, but next time, um, I think let's, let's jump in because there are some specific strategies uh, that come from scripture, that come from yeah. researchers about how you can rein in the influence of technology on your life and how you can actually use technology against technology to, um, yeah, which I think, you know, we're we're stuck in some ways with this technology, but it can be used to actually limit its influence in your life. Yeah. And what you said really stood out to me that sin, no matter what it is, is 
so much more available because of the world that we live in, that it is right at your fingertips. And to me, that really highlights the need for self-control. Right. We have to have self-control if we have sin so available. Because I, I just think like 20 years ago, if you had an issue with lust, to act on that lust, you would have had to leave, to go somewhere, to do yep. something. To Don't go shopping. Under the to, eye. Right. It would just go shopping. You'd have to actually go to a store to go buy something. Yep. And now five seconds of a lack of self-control can do you in. So true. And so you need that self-control muscle to be stronger than ever because temptation is greater than ever. Yes. You're absolutely right. You need you need stronger self-control. You need better willpower. You need the empowerment of God's spirit. And you also need some very practical strategies. And this isn't legalism. This is just wisdom, yeah. right? That that understanding where you're fundamentally weak and taking like precautionary measures to avoid certain temptations that make it more difficult for you to sin. So yeah, it's it's a crucial uh, topic, obviously in any time, but especially ours. Well, I'm really excited for the next episode when we're gonna to learn some strategies on how we can keep self-control in the front center of our mind and how we can fight back against the temptation and sin that's in our life. Awesome. Looking forward to it. You have been listening to the Future Self Podcast. If you enjoyed what you just heard, subscribe and leave a review wherever you find your podcasts. Your Future Self Podcast, self-control and habit building from a distinctly Christian perspective. We'll see you next time.